Appreciate it, Carl. Good morning. <laughs> Appreciate Colin's reading of the scripture, and I do not mind him reading slow at all. It really makes you stop and think and listen to the words that were being spoken. And if you think Colin's reading was slow, you need to have an understanding that the clock that I look at in the back is slower than Colin's reading. It has 20 minutes till 11. I have a long time to go. <laughs> the thought of dealing with the things of this life, the reminding of ourselves of the uncertainty of it, the unexpectedness of it, and things happening to us and to those that we know or love, or that we read about, that seem very hard to understand a God who is a God of love, that he allows such things to take place within our lives, particularly those who are children of God, to cause the pain, the affliction, the suffering, and to, at times, the questioning of his goodness, the questioning of his love or his desire for us, and that he is working all things for good within our life. We want to look again, as we know, the scriptures give us the answers that we need that pertain to this life and that pertain to godliness, that pertain to the hope that we have eternal life with him one day. That everything that happens has a purpose behind it. Part of it is for us to recognize and to realize that we do not know and we do not have control over what happens to us within this life to a large degree. A lot of things that take place within this world are part of life itself. A lot of things that take place in this world are a result of the lives of those around us that may be good and that may not be good, and that have a desire to do those things that cause us to have pain or suffering and not know exactly which way that we go. And unless we do remind ourselves and refresh ourselves that we serve a God who cares for his creation, that he designed his creation for the creature that he would create in his own likeness and in his own image. And that the things that per pertain to us and the things that transpire within this life is for our good and for our benefit with the desire of striving to help us to look to the one who has the answer, who has the hope that we have within our life. 
We've been given the scriptures that are for our comfort and for our admonition, upon whom the ends of the ages have come, Paul telling us in Romans 15 and in verse 4. So as we look at scriptures, we are given a history of God's dealing with his creation and God's dealing with those whom he had chosen to be his spokesmen, the prophets of old, who would bring a message of hope, a message of comfort, sometimes a message of punishment that was coming, but with that understanding that when that punishment did come, there was a reason behind it. And we'll look a little bit more at that this evening about God talking to Isaiah when he says, come and let us, let us reason together about what goes on in the life in which we live. And as we read the scriptures, we read of the marvelous, wondrous, outstanding accounts that God has had with his prophets, with his people, and yet with even with all that they have done and seen, that they still had questions, still had doubts, would need to be reminded of a need of who God is. We can look at the prophet Elijah back in 1 Kings 17. We can see that as he spoke to him, he reminds Elijah that it is God who is in control of the world in which Elijah lived. And God was able to do as he saw work that would work within his plan. And at times it would be very difficult for Elijah to absolutely trust God who did work in nature, who did work in human history, to trust that that God would also be with Elijah as he had, and yet for Elijah to lose that confidence that he had in God. And are we much different? It's always pleasant to serve God when things go well. And we're being blessed as we see blessings coming and as we would want to perceive blessings. And at times it's hard to serve God when that table is turned upside down. And life has become a wreck as we view it. And we do the questioning of why and what's involved in it and why should that be the case. Elijah was being reminded there in 1 Kings 17, 1 that God had the ability to cause the rain to cease. He is in control. He is the creator of this world. And he can, by his will, alter, change from what normally takes place. And there's always a reason behind it. It's never just a whim of God. It's never just a, let's trick him up a little bit. 
there's a purpose behind what God does, and at times it's hard for us to see. We're reminded in James 5 and verse 17 that this rain that, he, that God would cease to come would last for three and a half years. God simply says it's not going to rain for three and a half years. Elijah is the one that brought the message. Elijah is one that has seen God already work. But he would be one who would have some questions along the way. Elijah is reminded in verse 4 of 1 Kings 17 that during this period of time that God would make provisions for Elijah. That he would be fed by the ravens. Elijah would not be able to sustain himself. That he would need help. These are reminders to us that God does give his help. It's oftentimes not in the way that we would want it to be. We are reminded that with food and clothing, we ought to be content. We're never told how the food and the clothing may come or to what degree it may be. We have our understanding that food involves for us three meals a day, plus the snacks in between. And that the clothing is sufficient for us, and that is more than one set. But that's not what is promised. And we have the impression that it is us that has to do the providing of the food, and us that does the providing of the clothing. But the scriptures also do remind us that there are those who are going to be less fortunate than ourselves. And if we, as a brother or sister in Christ, see a brother or sister in Christ in need, we are to help that individual. The human pride says, no, that's okay. I need to do it myself. God is going to make the provisions. God does oftentimes, but not in the way that we may desire it to be. He created us to be social individuals, that we rely on a society, that we do help one another, as in society in general, and particularly it is with our society in the spiritual realm as being a part of the family of God. As you go on in the First Kings 17 down to verse 14, God is making further provisions miraculously for Elijah to take care of the widow. And then we'll see the resurrection that takes place there in verse 22. All of this again leading up, if you will, into chapter 18 of 1 Kings. God's people, excuse me, God's people have not always acted, trusted, obeyed the way God would want them to do. That has not changed, sad to say. God's people oftentimes, long before 1 Kings, back to the Garden of Eden, if you will, tended to listen to other voices 
tended to want to be like those that they were surrounded by, tended to trust in what they could see and what they would understand if they were being attacked by one group of people, if there was another group of people that was stronger than the one that was attacking them, then they would want to join forces to fight against those and oftentimes forget the one who was greater than them all and the one who loved them more than those alliances that they would make with Egypt or the alliances that they'd make with the Babylonians depending on what time in their history they're talking about and forget the alliance that they had with God above. So they would worship the idols and they were doing this in 1 Kings 18. We're talking about God's people. And they have 450 prophets of Baal that they're allowing to live within the land and whom they're willing to listen to as opposed to listen to the prophet, a prophet of God, Elijah. And so to demonstrate the ability and the power that God has, Elijah called for a contest. Calls for the prophets of Baal, and there were other prophets as well. They had numerous ones in great abundance. And they had that one prophet of God. To meet at Mount Carmel, 450 prophets of Baal, and it says, Let's see who God is. Elijah would ask the people, how long will you halt or how long will you hesitate between two opinions? If Baal be God, then serve Baal. If God be God, if the Lord be God, then serve the Lord. And that sad response, the people did not answer a word. They didn't want to have to make a choice, but a choice has to be made then as well as today. And the scriptures are there to remind us as you make that choice that may seem unprofitable or unwise at the time, you need to understand with whom you are making the choice. Is it with false gods or is it with the Lord God Almighty? The 450 prophets of Baal have their altar. They put the sacrifice on it. And they call on their God to consume the sacrifice. And they cry from morning to noon, and there's no response. If you read the account, somewhat interesting along the way, Elijah begins to taunt them. Well, maybe your God's asleep and you need to cry a little louder. Wake him up. Or maybe he's out doing some other business along the way and he's not there to hear you. And there's no response. Elijah's turn comes. He takes the altar, lays his sacrifice upon him, calls on upon the people to pour water on the sacrifice and the altar to completely douse it with water which they do and then he calls from God to answer God consumes the sacrifice and all that's there tremendous testimony 
of the power of God over nature, if you will. And then Elijah resolves the issue of the false prophets and has them killed. Tremendous mountaintop experience, and we mentioned that a little bit in the auditorium class this morning. If you have a mountaintop, you've got valleys you get to deal with. Can't have a mountaintop without you having the valley to have the top of the mountain on. And so you have a mountaintop experience. Oh, there's a mountaintop here, there's a valley on one side, and there's a valley on the other side. The valley comes up in chapter 19. He had just defeated 450 prophets of Baal. He had just involved in the execution of those 450 prophets of Baal. And one person, one female, one queen, makes a statement that before the day was over, Elijah would lose his life. And Elijah flees. He had just been involved in the power of God and so soon forgot the ability that God has had forgotten the love that God has for his people. He withdraws, believes that he's alone, petitions God to take his life because he's the only one lost or left. We ever go through that sometimes in our life? We're the only ones that are trying to be faithful to God the only people that are trying to serve him. And our God has to remind Elijah. Basically, he tells him in similar language, a little different, but similar language to what I'm using here. Elijah, you do not know how to count. You look at out, what's out, excuse me, what's out there and you count one, I'm done. That's it, take my life. God says, I have 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. You don't know how to count. And we do not today. We do not know how to count those who are faithful to God who will not bow the knee to the pressures of society in which they live, they're willing to lose their life rather than to deny the God who had saved them through the blood of his son that he gave upon that cross. Do we get discouraged when things go wrong our way? Go to a doctor and get that dreaded response back from the doctor? Do we forget when life seems to have turned upside down that God is still there. He is still in control. And there are reasons and things that are out there. How many times have people held on to that which is very precious to them? 
only to see it destroyed. You mentioned in the class, I mean, how many times a tornado, even here in, in our area, have come through and ripped up and torn out houses, leveled them. And usually the first response or the first words out of their lives or out of the mouths of the people, at least we're alive. It was only stuff. Had value to us, but that's in the physical sense. And that can go at any time, and one day it will go. Do we value the physical or the spiritual life? Have we made preparation for it and the life in which we live? So many times when we are in the valley, it's woe with us. Look how bad it has become. We remember what we used to have, and we do not have that, and it's terrible, and we get into that little pity party. Well, with me, things are bad. And we forget that God is in control. And as I read Elijah, as I read Job, I do not read, particularly with Job, anywhere in those chapters where God whispers in Job's ear and says, this is only a test. Stay faithful and you will come out on top. Never said that. As far as Job would know from what we read in the scriptures, this was the lot of Job. Lost his family, lost his wealth, lost his health. Sitting out in a dung heap, scraping himself. His friends come. And the best comfort that, they, that Job received from his friends when they first got there, and they said, did not say a word for seven days. Because after that, all they did was to berate him. Job, you're a sinner. You did something wrong. You, all you got to do, Job, is acknowledge it. You know God does not punish the righteous. You're a sinner somewhere in line, so just repent. Job said, I have not. Several times we're reminded over and over again, and all that Job went through, neither did he sin or curse God. His faith is in God. He is a God who is in control, a God who loves his people, and a God who will see us through to the end one day if we put our trust in him. We go back to the beginning, Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens in the earth. Go back and read that. Remind yourself that you are in a universe that God created out of nothing. And then in this universe that God has created out of nothing, He is 
and absolute control of what he has created. It is held together by his power. One of Roy's favorite passages is in Job 26 and in verse 9. He hangeth the earth on nothing. This is this, this try to picture that globe called the earth suspended in space. How? How? God controls. I'm always amazed, as I mentioned at times too, this earth that is suspended on nothing is round, completely round, and yet wherever you are on the earth, you are standing what? Upright. I mean, how can those down in Australia who's at the bottom of the globe stand upright on the earth? Doesn't seem possible. And yet, it is. God is in control. If he controls the vastness of a universe that we cannot and have not even begun to, to comprehend, why do we not believe that he works within the lives of his creation whom he created in his own image after his own likeness and whom he gave his son to die to redeem his creation from the sins that they have committed, that he holds a hope for them eternally one day in a place called heaven to be in the presence of God forever. We live in a universe which we understand that rotates around, our planet rotates around the sun, and that we are dependent upon the sun for life, for heat. And then they read again in Revelation Revelation that in heaven there is no sun because there is not a need for it. God himself is the light. His love and his depths for us and the life that he's created. Samuel reminds us in 1 Samuel 2, verses 6 through 9. We may not like all of it, but we need to be reminded of it. The Lord killeth and maketh alive. He bringeth down to the grave and he bringeth up. The Lord maketh poor, he maketh rich. He bringeth low, he lifteth up, lift us up. He raises up the poor out of the dust. He lifted up the beggar from the dunghill and set them among princes and makes them to inherit the throne of glory. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and he has set the world upon them. He will keep his feet, he will keep the feet of his saints, and the wicked shall be silent in darkness, for by strength shall no man prevail. He has made all things. He sustains all things. He so loved this world that he sent his son to make it possible that we could have a hope of eternal life. God is in control. He gave us a physical world that we can look at. I think it's still up there. See some of his creation. Those of you who have traveled around the country, those of you who have traveled around the world have seen some magnificent 
creations and creatures that God has created. How much more does he love you? And how much more is he in control of what happens with you? We may not fully sense it. We may not fully understand it. We may not fully comprehend for all the depths of the love of God and how rich are his mercies towards us. For those who are children of God, never doubt his love, his compassion, his foresight, and his desire to be with you as you walk through this life, whatever it may be, and however it may unfold, never doubt, never question, God is there, and he does love you. For those are not yet a child of God for you to consider. This creator of the universe has made preparation for salvation, for forgiveness of sins, that he has and will forgive those sins and remember them against you no more that he will give you that hope of eternal life and a dwelling place with him in heaven. It is our desire and our hope that each one of us, as we reflect upon the nature of God, that as we reflect upon who he is, as we reflect upon the depths of his love, we'll come to love him, desire to serve him, and long to be with him eternally. But that's not your condition this morning. You need to make a change within your life to draw closer to God or to become that child of God. If we could assist you, if we could help you in any way, then indeed we bid you to come as together we stand and sing.